0: You, I sent an email out to the church family, and I'm going to say thank you for your responses real quickly, because time is fleeting. I'm going to try to summarize for two, two, uh, two weeks, this week and next, a little bit of where we have been over this past year, and then we'll start a new series in a couple weeks around the season of hope. We're going to talk about hope, but I want to remind you where we've been. So we use this phrase, flourishing in exile, and I heard all kinds of comments. Isn't it ironic that in Pella Isle we're talking about exile? Well, I tried to frame it in a unique way, so can I have slide two, please, Dave? The phrase we've been using together in corporate worship from September 15th last year to till July 26th of this is a simple phrase that has become our vision for two consecutive years. The vision is this, cultivating kingdom people, kingdom of God people who flourish in exile, which means people bring light and hope in a post-Christian context. So slide three, please. The very big word they use is post-Christendom. And what that is very simply is a movement of the Christian faith from the center to the margins of the Western culture. So what used to be kind of normal, Judeo-Christian things were kind of normal and part of the Western culture increasingly have been moved to the margins and I've been trying to say that's a good thing. So the next slide please. But we need to acknowledge where we are. So what words do do scholars use to describe post-Christendom? They say it is a worldview exalting progress, and notice the word progress, and the presumed supremacy of these things. So reigning supremely now in post-Christendom are reason, copious amounts of information, instant gratification, technological advancement, unfettered materialism, convenience, Tribal superiority, which means the people I like, the people I associate with, we know we are better than others, there's that thing that runs kind of through our culture right now, and then personal preference. So can I just give you a couple quick sentences then from what I've thought about over this past year and talked with you. Here's four in a row. Christendom, so the word Christendom is a word that was used to describe the center of Western culture since the fourth century. But now there's been a movement from what was at center to the margins. Christianity was by default the religion of the Western culture for about 16 centuries, by default. The church today must function now within the rubric understanding that we have no cultural authority. I want you to hear that. In post-Christendom, the things that used to be center are now on the margins. And so we have to understand that the amount of, quote, authority we have culturally is very, very limited. And the church, which was one of the former power brokers who provided influence at the cultural table, is now seeking to find where it belongs in the context of an ever-changing culture. So the next thing I added, that from a, who would have thought last September, next slide please, who would have thought last September that COVID would come and literally change our world? Who would have thought that the economic dislocations would be this vast and carry such levels of implication? Who would have thought our country would be wracked by racial hostilities and pain at the levels we have seen in the last months? We're beginning to hear about global technological threats of all kinds, affecting all kinds of people personally, corporations, and nations. And all of this has disoriented home life and how we relate to each other. So what I've tried to say to you last September was that we are asked to to engage and to flourish in an environment that is so rapidly, radically different than it was a year ago. But I've been trying to say it's positive. We need to think positively. So what do we do as a staff? Next slide, please. So this is our vision and our core values for two consecutive years. If you look around the outside, we have the phrase, flourishing in exile, where the invitation to us as a church family is that we'll be a people who are actually going to thrive. We're going to grow. We're going to do well. We're going to bring life. We're going to bring light from the margins. I'm going to keep emphasizing that this morning. We, we, need, we need to understand we are on the margins. And that's a good thing. Now, let me just mess with you for a second. Think about this. If you read the whole Bible... The Bible from Genesis 3 to the end is all about a people who are constantly in exile. They're constantly being changed in location. Think about Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world, and Adam and Eve are exiled. Read all the Old Testament prophets. Read, how about the book of Acts? Remember, we spent a whole year in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he does. And what happens? The church has this amazing, powerful moment, and it begins to change a culture. But for 10 years, they're still in Jerusalem. And so in chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit is poured out. 10 years later, chapter 8, verse 1, and a persecution comes to the church. And what happens to the church? It's sent in exile. And I've told you this many, many times over the last 28 years almost. Pella, the city of Pella in the Middle East, was one of the first two places the exiled, persecuted church fled to. Chapter 8, verse 1, they fled to Pella. I like this, pal, they fled. So in light of all that, what did we say? We want to be focusing on four core values. The first one is intimacy, that we understand that we are invited into a deep, intimate, loving, personal relationship with the living God. We talked about identity. We know who and whose we are. We're not orphans. We're not just floating out in the middle of nowhere with no hope. We're part of a family. And then we talked about belonging. We're part of the kingdom of God. I've been trying to say this multiple times using a phrase by James Bryan Smith. The kingdom of God is unshakable. It is unbreakable. It is never in trouble. So in the midst, we belong to this unshakable, unbreakable kingdom, and in that light we have purpose. There are opportunities for us to shine light, to be light. So we use Jeremiah 29. So could I invite you, please, to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 29? Just a couple verses, and then I'd like to read some, to tell you some stories. Jeremiah 29, this, is the, this has been the primary text for this last year, referred to it many, many times. Jeremiah 29, look at verses 4 through 7 and verses 11 through 14. So, Jeremiah chapter 29, and you notice the word exile is found all through chapter 29, beginning at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. Let me stop for a second. If, if, if post Christendom is true, and if the church, Christian people, are now on the margins of culture, Jeremiah 29 would say, and the Lord placed us there. He sends his people into exile. Why? Is this true, do you think? Those who control power and the levers of power are often arrogant, misuse power, misuse place, misuse wealth, and all kinds of things. And what I observe in church history and in experience is the Lord takes those who are in the center and often moves them to the edges. And new ones come into the fore. But we need to see that when we move to the edges, this is a sovereign work of God. I want to say this to you again. If post-Christendom is true, God is not going in heaven. Oy vey! What is happening to the church? Jeremiah 29 says, No, the Lord is active. And he's saying, I'm going to use myself, an arrogant or proud or powerful person needs to see himself on the fringes. And there are all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of places, who are beginning to come into the table, and all of a sudden we're starting to see images, glimpses, in the midst of all our pain of what? One day, when Jesus returns, and creates a new heaven, a new earth, what will we see? Every tribe, every nation, every language, and every tongue. And someone came to see me this week and said, how's this going to be? How are we going to hear people? How? Everyone's going to be speaking their own languages. Everyone's going to be praising and doing whatever we do in the new heaven and earth in their own languages. And somehow we're all going to be one. So watch now. If, if, if post-Christendom is true and we're being moved to the edges, we're having to learn new ways to flourish. We need to learn new ways to be in relationship. And, fundamentally, the ways have to be humble and kind. It needs to be a people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness. And when those become part of the people on the margins, what begins to happen? Relationships start to be built and formed all around the margins. And what begins to form a new community? Well, let's go back to the passage. How does the passage go on? It goes on like this in verse five. So build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, marry, and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage. Now here, here's why: so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Look at this next phrase. To which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, let's not clean this story up. When the exile happened, remember remember what I've told you in the years past. When the exile came, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Do you remember the the walk from Jerusalem to, to Babylon? Those who had wealth... The rings were taken off ears and wherever rings were located and people were tied nose to nose. So I want you to think about it. You are nose to nose with someone and you're walking across a 700-mile desert in 100-degree heat. How many of those people you think made it? So when they finally get to exile, how many years are they in exile? Seventy. Now hear these words from the Lord. I have sent you to the margins. And on the margins, I want you to build homes and build relationships and create community. Why? Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham and one of the first covenants in the Bible, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. What if these captors are saying, no, the temple, the dwelling place of God is gone. Our king is gone. Our country is destroyed. We've walked 700 miles in a desert for decades. And you want us to do what? So now, for many of us in post-Christendom, we're on the margins. And what does a sovereign God who brought us into captivity say? Now, you go bless the people who you live with. You bless the city that I sent you to. You have families. And you pray for the peace and prosperity of that place. The word prosperity is the same word as shalom. Five times, pray for shalom. Pray for shalom. Pray for shalom, for peace. You can just imagine what these exiles are saying. No, no, no. Well, he goes on. Look at chapter 29, verse 11. The Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you. He has plans for his exiles, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me. And you will come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Meaning what? From the margins. In exile. When everything we know and love has been turned upside down. And the Lord says, I want you to pray for the peace and prosperity of the place I've sent you. And then he says, I have plans. He has known plans. I know the plans I have for you. He has promising plans. You're gonna go back. He has uh, kingdom plans. He has personal plans. What am, I, what am I telling you all this for? Because if... It, so, if all I listen to is Fox and CNN or pick your news outlet, and that's what I listen to. All I'm going to hear from either one side or the other is how bad everything is. And what I've been trying for the last 10 months to say to our church family is, you are children of a sovereign, active God. You belong into a family and a kingdom. And if we are on the margins, listen now, it's because God wants us there. People are always in exile in scripture. Why? Because when we understand we are weak and broken, what do we say? Lord, I need you. And the text says, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. So on the margins, when things have been taken away, we begin to say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Am I speaking the truth? So what I've been trying to do for the last 10 months is reframe the narrative. The narrative is everything is bad. The country's blowing up. The world's a mess. Oh, my, we're all going to die. You better hunker down. Get yourself, be careful, because it's all bad. I read the end of the book. And we're moving to the end of the book. So... I sent an email out to the whole church family and I asked people, if you could just give me some stories where in the midst of living on the margins when life has changed so radically, how are you flourishing? How are you experiencing hope? Real quick, let me just read some lines from different emails. One per, the first one, I sent it out and about eight, eight minutes after it went out I got this reply. Eight minutes. I, many things I missed... The most was worshiping with our church family. But a couple weeks ago, this is some weeks back, we started to have third church home gatherings. In the context of homes, I was welcomed and experienced flourishing. A young woman writes me, the first week she came back, I gotta read this. She she said to me, "Um, the first time I came back in worship, I'd not been present for 14 weeks. I'm sitting in the back, I heard when I heard the sound of angels singing with the congregation. I knew it was angels. It was one of the most beautiful sounds I have ever heard. It deeply impacted her in flourishing. Someone else said, the first week, I said the congregation crossed all of you two into a, a video piece, read a psalm a day. And so one family with six, seven children who are now having to homeschool, they started their mornings reading a psalm. And at first the kids went, rah, rah, And by the end, the children would say to their parents, Don't forget to read the psalm. Someone who says, I have a neighbor who I've not interacted with very often. She lost her husband, she's quite ill. And by saying, have gentle conversations across fences, they began to work together. A woman who lost a spouse and was ill, had a love for gardening, And a young couple who loved the garden, did not have a place, built a friendship. And now there's a flourishing garden and a flourishing relationship that came because of COVID. Someone else among us has a heart for another country, concerned about what's happening because COVID affected that country, and there was no food where this person has friends. He sent an email out to 700 people in Pella and in two and a half months $45,000 was raised to supply the food, the requirements at a mill to feed 5,000 people. Someone received three $100 bills. And said, the Lord has asked me to give this to you. Would you please find someone to give $100 bills to? And here are the stories. And the stories are remarkable. Led by the Spirit to give a $100 bill to someone who was in a hard place. And then I received one. Some people shared beautifully, honestly. They came to church one Sunday morning, very downcast. We went with heavy hearts and were needing assurance. We were tired of jumping through hoops and waiting. There was, we were praying, we were praying. And then that Sunday morning, the worship leaders began to sing the song. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. The song is listed and then it's written. That song was a game changer and is an understatement. The Spirit spoke to us through those songs in such a profound way. It gave us hope. The song was never far from our lips, and the Lord's faithfulness is ours." Isn't it interesting? When all this stuff happens, and things are taken away, we begin to find out what's really important. And what's important, fundamentally, is relationships. I was in a a public setting, and someone asked me what my job is. And I told him, preacher, my job is relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, strength, relationship. And love your neighbor as yourself, relationships. How do we flourish in exile? We understand that we have a God who has placed us here. And he invites us to trust him, to believe he's faithful, to take the words. I love what they said about Brian. Just a quick thank you to Carl, thank you to Brian. The the liturgy says these are commissioned elders, pastors. Brian had to gain our commissioned pastors, Allie, Katie, Clay, soon-to-be Brett, Marty Schmidt, Andrew Schmidt, all, all those have been commissioned pastors. They have to be learned competencies in nine different areas. It's a lot of study. Brian, at 29, has been... St- <laughs> studied his fanny off. Darren Wogan's another one. Why? I think in Brian, I think in many of us, his desire to flourish... So how do we want to flourish? We want to be a Word and Spirit people. So I wonder if we could just take a moment to pray. Could I have slide number eight, please? I wonder if you're willing at home, in the auditorium, or here, by yourself, text with another, could we take just a couple minutes, and would you be willing, maybe if you're in a group of three or four, just one person, but if you're comfortable, all, whatever, could we pray? In the midst of this unique season, would you pray for those you love? Or, could we pray for those who lead us? Mayors, governors, senators, um, directors of schools, our workplaces, the president. Pray for those who lead us and pray for our shared future. Instead of being, how bad is it? How good? how rich, how beautiful our life could be if with the Spirit we choose to flourish in exile. So could we take like a a little bit? And if you're willing, if you're able, could you pray out loud if it's comfortable? If not, just pretend you're praying. On your marks, get set, let's pray. Lord, we thank and we praise you that you are faithful. That in the midst of a circumstances in a world we don't always understand, we thank you that you are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, our Father. So as we seek to follow you in the future, help us to believe that you're a good, good Father who is faithful in all you say and do and are. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth as it in heaven in Jesus name amen